I'm Taylor. And I'm Mackenzie. And, and we're, we're twins. twins. I like starting things and sometimes finishing them. And I love talking about television, which made us want to deep dive into TV pilots. So join us each week as we analyze, dissect, and possibly even enjoy some of television's greatest opening episodes in From the Top with Taylor and Mackenzie. Hello, all you beautiful land mermaids. Welcome to From the Top with Taylor and Mackenzie, where we talk about a different TV pilot every week. This week, we're talking about the pilot of Parks and Recreation. And though the pilot is our main subject of discussion, as always, there will be spoilers for the rest of the series, even the finale. Let's do it. Mackenzie, you just called all of our listeners a bunch of Anns. Do you like Anne? She's the second worst character, but I have the same affection for Yikes. them. Yikes. The same affection as Leslie has for Anne. So it works. Okay. That's valid. This week, we're going to answer the burning question, is anyone more boring than Mark Brandanowitz or Brandanaquitz? It's not going to be a hard question to answer. <laughs> well, there are a few people in Pawnee who I might say are more boring. I mean, I really love Barney, but he is pretty boring. The accountant? Ted! Yeah, the accountant. He is magical. And that concludes our quick look at quick books. <laughs> All right. One of my favorite lines. We're going to quickly get into this. It's hard to believe that Parks and Rec aired in 2009, April 9th, 2009. I was still in college. We I had my mortar board on and my... I don't know what that is, so... It's a hat from high school, you know, when you graduate. Parks and Rec was created by Greg Daniels and Mike Schur, who were a part of The Office. A little spin-off, maybe, a little... A red-headed stepchild. Season one, at least. At this point, yeah. Parks and Rec stars Amy Poehler, Rashida Jones, and a whole bunch of other people that we are going to meet in this pilot. My favorite thing when I was researching was reading the actual genre of this was... American political satire mockumentary sitcom. So many of those out there. That's like longer than the pilot itself. Well, Tay, this is one of our shared favorite TV shows, and I would love to know how you got into it because you got me into it. You're the original twin. I'm an influencer <laughs> when it comes to you only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taylor is not active on the Instagrams, okay? I don't really post anything, and I don't yell at people outside saying go do this or wear this but if you're going to influence someone on leslie nope and ron swanson that's all you need that is a positive thing yeah well i started watching this in college when it was live we would all get together and watch the office in our living room of the house we lived in you're like and there would be about OG, OG parks and we are og we had about 25 people packed into the living room wow. like tiered and That's it so was college a and spectacle. also so not coronavirus okay it was a spectacle <laughs> i can't say that i have specific memories of watching season one because it was so bad like i don't remember everyone just watching it and being like okay this <laughs> isn't great i only remember very positive memories of that viewing experience i remember after councilman dexart appears in season two and has his first Brazilian cave sex scandal oh my gosh. and the show kind of seeming so ludicrous. That's when I started to think, oh, this is going to be the best show on TV. And it really was. This was definitely a an NBC must-see show for Taylor. And it wasn't for you? It was not for me. I don't think I really knew that it existed beyond like there's this show out there. And then a few years ago, you told me that I had to watch it. I watched a few episodes with Brian 
listeners, as you may know, the first season is so terrible. I was like, I'm sorry, this is not funny. And do you remember the thing that I threatened you with if you didn't watch the show? No. R- ritual sacrifice? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was going to take Nicholas to get his ears pierced. Oh, my God. I, w- I don't think I would have been that mad about it. Uh, <laughs> no. You finally then talked me into it maybe more than a year after that saying, like, listen, the first season is so bad and then it gets delightful. So you just need to know that. And that is what I now tell everyone because this is one of my all-time favorite shows I rewatch the show all the time, but you really do have to get through the first six episodes. So if you've never watched the show or if you've started it and quit it several times, like a lot of people, you got to give it a chance because it's so much yeah, better. Don't be a Brandana quitzer. Right? A Brandana quitzer. All in all, thanks, Tay, for making me watch because Andy Dwyer is the best thing that's ever happened to me besides my children and my husband. That's lovely. Taylor, will you read our plot <laughs> summary of the pilot of Parks and Rec? Because we're about to embark on the disaster that is season one and the triumph that is what they changed between seasons one and two. Idealistic public servant Leslie Nope is inspired to make big changes in her small Indiana town after being confronted by a local woman whose boyfriend has fallen into a pit and broken both of his legs. His fat, hairy legs. I mean, isn't that pretty normal? Sorry, Chris Pratt. People falling into pits? And he probably saw a a shiny thing in the bottom and looked too close. (laughs) He's like Dory on Finding Nemo or something. He's very much. We are going to sing I Fell in the Pit multiple times. Just be prepared. I don't really listen to Dave Matthews Band, but I know Andy loves Dave Matthews Band. Yes. Does Does he try to sound like Dave Matthews Band at all? Do you know? Very much so. That is okay. his uh, inspiration. Since we got to get into this stupid toilet of an episode, <laughs> let's start as we always do. Let me sing our special song. Let's have some fun and talk about scene one. Which isn't really that fun, just awkward. Okay. They do start off kind of well in terms of the construction okay. of the very first line. She says to the small girl at the park, Hi, I'm Leslie Nope. I work for the Parks Recreation Department. And then blah, blah, blah. She asks her questions about the park. And now we know the setting, and it only took five seconds. And it immediately shows you that it's much easier to make a pilot and to add character information when you're doing a mockumentary style. Because you can kind of just have people say things in talking heads and whatnot. That's a little help that I didn't realize would be there. I like that we also get a little glimpse of who Leslie is in general, because... She takes her job so seriously that she's conducting a survey with a small child at a park. No one would really do that, but Leslie would. You can imagine if she was the real Leslie Nope from seasons two onward. She might do the same thing with a kid, but do it in a competent way that actually gathered information, not not saying like a stupid survey nonsense jargon. It's another great quick exposition in this first scene as well, that there's a drunk person stuck in the slide because this little Indiana town has some problematic villagers. It's a town full of lovable ne'er-do-wells. Ne'er-do-wells. I'm going to bring that back. That's a common vocabulary word. The next moment in scene one shows her being held by a little kid between the bars (laughs) by the hair so she can't move, she can't leave. And it sums up her season one character pretty well. Hmm. She's well-meaning, but totally incompetent, like just being stuck there by a little kid. That's kind of who you are. There's a very Michael Scott-esque-ness, which makes sense because this is created by the same people. But she says, you know, it's a great time to be a woman in politics. Leslie Nope is stopping for no one. You could hear Michael Scott saying 
the exact same thing. Certainly. We, we see the bumbling boss who's not super self-aware. And that's actually where maybe this pilot went a little bit wrong. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So that was a bit of Parks and Rec bashing. And there will be a little bit more. But we do love this show dearly. Very much. It's probably my third favorite show of all time. And I'm not telling you the top two. I'll leave you in mystery. So if you love the show, don't pause it now because there'll be a lot more positive fun later on. Yes. We will praise it. We will sing it from the rafters. We'll say, I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. No, we'll just tell you that it's literally our favorite show. <laughs> yes. Mac, will you get us started on some production history? Well, in line with our most recent episode, Greg Daniels and Mike Schur had conceived Parks and Rec as a sort of comedy version of The West Wing, but set in a small town. Do you think that that happened, Taylor? I guess you could say that it did. If that's the goal, they succeeded. But they made it, maybe should have asked themselves, is this a good idea? <laughs> yeah, and coming from the brains of The Office, they toyed with the idea, is this going to be a direct spinoff or not? And then they right. decided there wasn't really a way to make that work with any of the characters. And so it felt like there were a few balls in the air in, in terms of the, the true catalyst of the show. And that kind of comes through in the execution since it felt a little uneven, a little like, oh, is this what we're doing? Are we making The Office or not? So even though Mike and Greg are great writers and showrunners and creators, they would have been better served to just decide from moment one, this is not going to be The Office. Right. One thing they did get right was in the creation of the town of Pawnee. They actually went to city council meetings in LA to observe citizens voicing their opinions they really wanted to get the facts right about what it was like to actually live the life of a civil servant. And that definitely comes through on so many plot lines in the show, and I very much appreciated that. Yeah, they were wondering whether or not it would be realistic for a like a park creation to take like however many months, and they asked an <laughs> official, and he's like, oh, this one park, it's been in the planning stages for 18 years. Oh my gosh. So yes, it could take a few months. This is realistic. Oh, that's sad <laughs> and delightful. I don't want to ever say that Mark Brandanowitz is right, but he was right in that case. The only thing. Due to your great research, Taylor, I found out that NBC had said they'd launch the show after the Super Bowl, which would be an amazing time to launch a new show. But Amy Poehler, she was due to give birth the week that they had to shoot the pilot, so that's not going to work. And they actually tried to think about doing it with somebody else, but it was very clear they needed her, which we're so happy for, right? Mm -hmm. This is my favorite note from all of my research. Aubrey Plaza takes total credit for being the impetus for the Andy-April relationship. She just decided from the pilot on, like, I'm going to have my character just kind of sh have little glances and things to show that she's into Andy. And they kind of just had to pick that up as a plotline. And they are arguably maybe the best couple on the show, maybe the healthiest. Speaking of relationships, we're going to jump ahead a little bit to Leslie and Ben. And Ben's not in the pilot Sadly, and Adam Scott loved that Parks and Rec really was able to keep their relationship alive and they got to overcome these obstacles together. And it made me think, who has a better relationship? Jam, Jim and Pam, or I called it Bestly, Ben and Leslie. I don't know if they have a name. <laughs> I feel like there's a right answer here. Who has a better relationship? Yeah. And it's Oh, it's clearly Leslie shocking. and Ben. Jim and Pam... They talk so much about being best friends. In my viewing, it kind of looks like they love the idea of each other a little more than the actual person sometimes. That's deep, Tay. Because when they fight, they just don't... And I feel like it's mostly Jim. 
They just don't communicate well. But I think Jim needs to just have some solo counseling. He needs to do his own work. And maybe then they could have an, as effective a relationship as Besley. I feel like as a viewer, I enjoyed watching Jim and Pam's impetus. You know, the will they, won't they. It was very believable. And when you meet Ben and Leslie, you immediately know that they like each other. The chemistry is instant, which is pretty fantastic. But there's no question there. And yeah, I knew Jim and Pam were going to get together, but I don't know. That journey was more enjoyable. However, once they're married, Jim and Pam get boring. They get kind of vindictive. The tone is just off. And there's something about Ben and yeah. Leslie. They're really enjoyable. They make each other better. They're not sarcastic like Jim and Pam are in like a harsh way. There's so much plot in a really just engaging way about Leslie and Ben. And Jim and Pam, it feels like now they're married. What do we do with them? Maybe Greg and Mike perfected that in Leslie and Ben. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, take two gets a little better. Quick question for you. If you see two characters or two people that you think are in love, or if you see someone from across the room that you love, what song comes into your head as like the romance song? Baby, you're all that I want when you're lying here in my arms. <laughs> that, that song? No? That that totally works. I haven't Even heard of that as an option, but boom, that's boom. great. I was because you have and um, Dreamweaver from Wayne's World. Ooh. But yeah, I love that one. Thank you for that chance to visit high school again. <laughs> Let's throw one or two more production history things at our listeners, and then we'll move on. I think this show works because the writers allowed the actors to just create their characters. Or at least have, you know, be a huge part of the creation process. And case in point, Aubrey Plaza, when Allison Jones cast her, she just told Mike Schur, um, I just met the weirdest girl ever. You have to meet her and put her on your show. <laughs> so right there you see, like, they're just getting these people that know how to make a show interesting and letting them do what they do. It's a bit similar with Ben Schwartz, who plays John Ralphio, beloved John Ralphio. He was actually considered to be a love interest for Leslie, which is just weird. He's way too young. You know, it wouldn't work since it's a mockumentary, but wouldn't you love to see a dream sequence where Leslie and John Ralphio wake up in bed or make out or something? His attempts to hit on her are amazing. <laughs> Taylor introduced me to his improv special on Netflix, and it's amazing, but the writers of Parks and Rec knew his improv work. They knew he would just be amazing, and so they found a way to get him into the show and make John Ralphio. But again, it was one of those times where they saw the potential in the actor like Aubrey Plaza or like Nick Offerman and said, we just got to do something with them. Right. I think it was understood on the show is that after each scene was done filming what was scripted, they would just take five minutes and let the actors say whatever they wanted to see what would stick. How fun would that be? That's how Andy's best line came about, right? Mm -hmm. Network connectivity issues okay can i tell you the funniest thing i read in my research and then we'll move on yes parks and rec has amazing gag reels and bloopers for every season apparently amy poehler and nick offerman shot a makeout scene every season for the gag reel and i don't think we i don't think it's on tape just why but also that's amazing it is it makes me view the show making it in a whole new way. Oh my gosh. I don't casually make out with anyone who's not my spouse, so I don't really get it. I've read very contrasting things about love scenes, like in interviews with different actors saying, oh, they're just the worst, right. just hard on my real relationships. Or some people just say they love it and it's <laughs> not in like a right. curvy way, but like, like it's you're just, just having your fun job. and you're yeah. professional. Yeah. Well, if you're not attracted to that person, maybe Amy's just not into stashes. 
So we've only hit on a few, but there are dozens, scores, um, is there a word for hundreds? There are very many fun facts about this show and its production, so we highly suggest that you go out and do a little Googling or Binging, if that's your thing, or Alta Visting if you live in Pawnee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the time we usually skip into our key storylines, and we are going to do that, but they're going to be a little bit different this week, if you can go with us here. We're going to talk about the episode, and then about what changed from season one to two, and the finale. So let's take a little ride down Parks and Rec pilot and life lane because you could say that it might be a good thing that you could sum up your whole episode in a tight little summary in like one sentence like oh we really told a good little narrative but in the case of the pilot nothing more happens than that tiny one little storyline and it's not a good thing the pilot episode really boils down to two things the pit and pawnee as its own character i fell into the pit that's the slow jams version. All right, so I'm going to run through this as fast as I can. And I'm going to talk really fast, so I hope it's not annoying. <gasps> I'm out of breath already. You can do it. All right, we start in a conference room, and Ron is actually doing work, which is weird. He's leading the meeting, which what? he would never do. And he says they got to go to a public forum. And so Leslie goes to it with Tom. And then they meet Anne, and Anne says, you got to fill in this pit. And she says, uh, uh, okay, I'll do it. And she looks all elated. Ron tells her it's not going to happen. And then she goes to Mark, and Mark tells her it's not going to happen. And then Mark, for some reason, has sway over Ron. We don't know why. And she gets a subcommittee, and she celebrates as if that's forward progress, which I don't really think it is. End episode. Riveting TV, right? That was an accomplishment, Taylor. This whole episode reads as kind of sketches of who the characters will end up being as they rework the show, starting with Leslie. My favorite quote from this episode was, When I hear yelling, I hear people caring loudly at me. That was the only time I laughed during the whole viewing. <laughs> Most of the time, there a joke would end, and I'd be like, oh, I can see that they were trying to be funny right there. And then I would Yikes. not laugh. And it shows that Leslie is overly optimistic and really believes in her work in this town, even though people yelling is not loudly caring. That's not a thing. I'm pretty sure I had my arms crossed watching the whole episode. Just like, I will not like this. <laughs> I don't know why I was so defensive. Maybe scene one just sets Leslie up as such an unlikable person. I just, I had no reason to get behind her. You certainly don't care about her. Yeah. And let me go back to one line that really exemplified how Leslie was the Michael Scott of season one. Ron says, oh, when you fell into the pit? And she replies, when I visited the bottom of the pit on my fact-finding mission. And then she looks at the screen like, oh, I meant to do this. Or just that those lies that Michael tells himself about the events of his life oh gosh it's so sad and i think there's a level to which you just feel bad for michael and you want what's best for him but we don't know leslie yet and lastly i had a real problem with the show's ending after they get the subcommittee and they're celebrating it has like a cold close basically of just ron talking about the stuff in his office and bobby knight and his shotgun and yeah it told you a little bit about ron But it felt just like, oh, we need another 90 seconds before this episode is over. I enjoyed seeing Ron, like having people stare down the barrel of a gun when you walk in the office. That's a little glimpse of who he will be, but it was very unnecessary for the pilot. Yeah, yeah, as a retrospective, it's great, but... Well, the show is supposed to be about Leslie, so it doesn't make sense that Ron's the one ending the episode. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. To move into our second quote end quote storyline and finish off talking about how much we hate the episode, let's talk about how each character was kind of written here in the pilot and then transitions out of that gross, unformed, vestigial, early. There's a lot of embryonic. Embryonic is the word I was looking for. (laughs) They will grow into something wonderful someday, but right now it's you. So, Mackenzie, I am going to name a character. All right. And I would like you to talk about who they are, and I'll talk about who they will become. Who they shall sprout what into What have we someday. become? We're, we're really singing on this episode today. Start with the best, Leslie Nope. K to the N to the O-P-E, the dopest little shoddy in all of Pawnee, Indiana, Leslie Nope. <laughs> Thank you very much, John Ralphio, and his inability to rap. <laughs> to end on the correct sound, yeah. Those were actually written by Amy Poehler herself. Okay. Really? Little, little fun fact there. <laughs> not not by Ben Schwartz. In the pilot, Leslie is basically a clueless ditz. She keeps allowing herself to be manipulated by people. And while you see a sliver of her optimism, she's not competent at all. People are making fun of her. Tom and April are joking behind her back. And Tom says she gets drunk at all the parties and Tom's pulling a prank on her. Our Leslie Nope would never do that. And oh my gosh, I need to just say this. When she falls in the pit, I was so angry because Leslie Nope would not fall in the pit like that. It's just so physical comedy-esque. It was cringy because Leslie Nope is a boss. It's not so much that she wouldn't fall in the pit. It's that the look on her face when she falls like, oh no, I'm going down. Uh. Like that's that's a low a lower <laughs> level of comedy than... Right. Then Leslie. Right. So season two onward, they make Leslie good at her job. Yep. I think it's an easy well to go to for comedy to have characters get manipulated and have misunderstandings. I think like Leslie having the the men's haircut in <laughs> like episode four, like those kind oh. of things, they're funny. But but again, that Leslie wouldn't get anything done, and no one wants to get behind her. Right. And you can't imagine a character like that even having, like, a long-term love story arc. So like, are we rooting for this to to work? And it shows when she ends up dating Dave, where he's just a goof, and that's kind of all she can get. And then Ben walks in. It's so much better. That is a very good point. Yeah. Leslie one for Dave. Leslie two for Ben. Upgrade. All right. Total upgrade. Mackenzie, we got Tom... Tommy Fresh Haverford. You mean the inventor of cologne for babies? Okay. (laughs) We see some Tom here. He's hitting on Anne, even though he's married, technically. And when Leslie walks into his office, he's pretending that he's talking to the mayor. You know, he wants to have a little swagger, but he doesn't really care about his job. He is cynical and apathetic in a way that seems more cruel than he ends up being later. He's not just trying to get out of doing work. Which I think is kind of understandable in a government job. Like when he has to digitize all the city's files and he asks Ethel Beavers to do it. But see, I wanted whiny Tom where he goes and makes someone do it for him. (laughs) My fangies. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they didn't quite know that he was going to be an entrepreneur. And that really defines his character. His swagger defines who he is with with tweet yourself. Tweet yourself. And Entertainment 720... We want to root for him, and we totally do not hear. Give me some Ron Swanson. B to the O to the double S. Wait, no, that's about Chris. <laughs> we see that Ron's a libertarian here. 
which is fine. And he's wearing a suit and tie. Do we ever see that again? I want to see his polo, his sex appeal that is like odd, but somehow it works. Are you saying that season one run, not attractive, season two, you want to kiss him? I actually don't ever. I know that they wanted to play Ron and Leslie off of each other with her wanting to really believe in government and him obviously wanting to slow down the government work. And that works here. What do you think they changed about Ron to make him into the man we know and love? For others, like Tom, I think is a good example. He's just way too mean. For Ron, he's a little meaner than he ends up being. But I think more so they just don't know anything about who he's going to be. Bacon and eggs. Yeah, we hated on that final scene from the episode showing him talking about Bobby Knight and his shotgun. But they did kind of know Ron a little more than other characters. They didn't know his saxophone, scotch, woodworkingness. But at least he wasn't a huge cornhole, like Mark. corn dog, like Mark, like Mark or Tom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who, who else we got? Quickly, we see Donna one time. And her hair and her clothes and everything is wrong. It's Ugh, just wrong. Okay. That hair. Get a glimpse and like vomit afterwards. Because Donna is an amazing, amazing person. And she just, it's like Mindy Kaling in the office going from Paisley wearing Kelly to Ke the real Kelly Kapoor. That's all I'll say. April is April. I like it. She obviously grows to be more lovable, but it's there. Andy Dwyer. The only times I laughed in this episode were him. They found a gem in Chris Pratt. Like him or not as a real person, he is amazing in this role. Yeah, for Andy, I think his situation is a little different because other characters, they just had to kind of rewrite for season two. But with Andy, I think he becomes a better person because of Leslie and what she does for him. So I think that's, that's an actual character arc as opposed to just, oh, we need to do a redo. I mean, he starts at the bottom of the pit, literally, <laughs> and works his way up. Shoe shining all the way to Johnny Karate. When he pulled his hands out of his pants to shake Les's hand for the first time, I cackled. It's so gross <laughs> and hilarious. Anne, what is Anne? Is she anything? She stays that way the whole time. I'm sorry to any Anne <laughs> lovers out there. And then we have Mark. I don't even know what to do with him. For some reason, Leslie's into him. He is the least charismatic person ever. Case in point, he has no character arc. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Can I make this observation? I think the reason he's in this show is because he's like a Pawnee 9, but he's like a, a New York 5 or lower. He's a Seattle 2. Yeah. We have hot guys out here like my husband. Okay. Well, we'll get to Mark at some point, I'm sure. All in all, unless Ron and Leslie are together in a scene with the rest of the characters, you need those two guys. Otherwise, there's no gravity. I think as a whole, the, the biggest change that, that helped the show, they realized that everyone needed to like Leslie. Right. You know, she's, kind of the butt, she's kind of the butt of the joke a little bit. She's not the Jerry. She's not the Shlemiel and the Shlemazel. But she, she's not taken seriously. Her dreams are not taken seriously. But once you realize that, oh, she has done so much for this town that everyone owes her a million favors and is going to... Sometimes begrudgingly, but sometimes because they love her, get behind her and help her, then she can actually change this city and the world. Right. I mean, think about the Harvest Festival. Think about her running for city council and winning. None of those things would have happened to the first Leslie Nope. Oh, I'd hate to see original Leslie's campaign. It would have been really sad. <laughs> if we would never have gotten, get on your feet. I just don't know what <laughs> I'd do. 
The dog is peeing. Uh. <laughs> As Leslie Nope says, no one achieves anything alone. Aww, she got such a big heart. Are you gonna really fix your baby voice into every episode, Taylor? I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I just want to. <laughs> I love you. I'm just thinking of Andy, not Dwyer. Bernard. Andy Bernard. Andy scared. Like, he has the best, the best. He's baby the guy voice. I want to punch on the face in the office. A lot of shows have great ensembles and lovable leads, but I can't think of another show that has such a sense of place as Pawnee. Absolutely. You see little pieces of it with how nonsensical the townspeople are in that public forum. And then also there's a great little sprinkle of the town's terrible history where Leslie shows <laughs> Anne one of the murals in the city hall. And that running joke it's just a fantastic look at this terrible yet somehow wonderful place. Yeah, I mean, I never would have thought that the guy who yells ham and mayonnaise, ham and mayonnaise was going to be one of my favorite characters in the whole series. <laughs> but the fact that they could make me love him or the pawn shop owner guy. Oh my gosh. Or the lady with slugs in her yard. <laughs> Slug lady. And all yeah. the terrible people who you campaign against Leslie. Pert Happley, Joan Calamezzo. Ugh. Right, and look at, you know, there are dozens of shows set in New York City, and we all kind of have a baseline understanding of what New York is like, but it's still fictional to us. And like, oh, there's crime, and the Knicks, and people are mean, but Pawnee is more real than New York to me. Absolutely. I don't know if I'd want to go there. Are you kidding me? You can get a grizzle board and uh, go to Sue's Salads. I'd go there to work for Leslie Note. Good point. Okay, we can't spend too much time on it, but I think it would be remiss if we didn't talk about the finale of this show. As bad as the pilot was, not knowing anything about their characters, the finale knows everything. It goes into the future and tells their whole stories in a way that is satisfying, and while schmaltzy, not so saccharine that you're like, okay, that was just pointless. It's so delightful. There was a great little touch point in the finale that I just found out about. The drunk stuck in the slide in the pilot ends up returning to play this well-dressed man who asked for the swing near his house to be fixed in the final show. I loved that little tidbit, and it shows the arc of our, our little story. Yeah, I think there are two ways to make a good finale. You can make the right choice for the story, like Breaking Bad or Seinfeld, in my opinion. They should have gone to jail and bring, brought back all those characters. Or you can just say, this is for the fans, just do as much fan service as we can and have a ton of fun. I think they made the right decision since this is such an optimistic show to just give all the characters mm. the happiest endings possible and reward them. It feels almost like they died and they're in the afterlife. Like we worked so hard for the people in our lives and now we get to experience the bliss of, you know, 30 years of being the mayor and Gail Gergich not aging at all. Oh, this show is so much about how these characters grow even around leslie's care and leadership and those little touch points where leslie literally touches them and you see their story that really shows that she's the impetus in a lot of this and it's different like in the office finale where you know kevin gets fired because he should have you you actually <laughs> want to see like oh tom worked his way out of being a self-absorbed whatever into being really successful and learning from his mistakes i want to see that from him right and you could say that, oh, it's so easy to just give all the characters what they want. But it doesn't feel at all like, oh, and they became the CEO of this company, and they 
married a supermodel and live in a house on an island. Like, it felt earned, and I can't pinpoint exactly why that is, except that they're all such nice people that they deserve it. And they showed these arcs of them working so hard that you could see them succeed. As silly as some of the little jokes were about the future, there was enough grounded in the realities of who the characters had become in the seven previous seasons that it made sense. Yeah, they didn't change the characters at all, right? Speaking of future, can I just ask you what you thought of the time jump between season six and seven? Because there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of love. I loved it. Except for one thing, Leslie's bangs. <laughs> oh gosh, she's cute. <laughs> I like her bangs. She's cute. It's just the way of signifying witches in the past and now that it's, you know, three years. I know. Maybe I'm just anti-bang in general. <laughs> I was very confused and I remember watching it on Netflix. So I'm seeing it all one right after the other. But season six ending with the Unity concert felt like such a great ending. And so then when the time jump happened, I was like, they must have thought the season six was the end, but then they slapped on a seventh season and so they had to time jump it. I was very cynical about it. And then I found out the real reason. About her pregnancy. Yes. Amy Poehler had recently had two kids and she did not want to be with babies on set or have to be pregnant in the show, which totally, I understand your last yeah, season, that. you want to go out in a note that feels good to you as a human. And the writer in me is thinking, okay, now that we know these characters so well and the fans know them so well, we can just take them and have a fun like thought experiment of where are they going to be in three years. Yes. And for the finale, where are they going to to end up? Like That's just a lot of fun to sit down and think about. I did really enjoy the jokes that they made about what happens in 2017 or whatever. Three, <laughs> three years in the future, they have amazing technology somehow. They guessed the ending of Game of Thrones, Khaleesi marrying Jack Sparrow, or Donna and her <laughs> husband's trip to Middle Korea. There's a lot of little tidbits in there that are very fun. Yes, that was almost a little disappointing for me when 2017 happened. I, know. <laughs> I was like, oh, we don't have phones that can turn into skateboards. We actually need Leslie Nope now more than ever. And we're not counting the special as canon, are we? <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. The, the pandemic special, it was rough. They really needed we some hair are and makeup people. Not. Okay. <laughs> I did not oh, enjoy ben, seeing him age so, in real life. He was so greasy. <laughs> oh, I was worried for him. Like, Put some concealer on, man. It was a good reminder that actors are just people. Mackenzie, I'm very excited. I spent the day, and I know you did too, writing some Would You Rathers, Parks and Rec style, Pawnee edition, I guess. Full disclosure, I pulled two or three from the internet because they were too good that I couldn't pass them up. I wrote all of mine, so there you go. Wow. Who's better? I feel, Listeners, you I feel less than right just now. Kidding. <laughs> uh, I think that our listeners Everyone should... vote. Vote on your phones. Text Mackenzie to 909909. Standard messaging rate supply. You guys can play along with us as well. Pick your would you rathers. Tell these to your buddies. It was a very fun experiment. Would you rather fight Tammy 1 or Tammy 2? Tammy 1, because she's old. Knock her in the knees. <laughs> Smart. Would you rather be sprayed with a Dennis Feinstein's allergic for men, which Ben says smells like Chinese food spilled in the birdcage, or spend an evening alone with Oren? I would rather the cologne. I'm too way too afraid of Oren. <laughs> well, great minds think alike. 
Would you rather be stuck in Dennis Feinstein's Rolexus sprayed with Tommy Fresh or go on a date with the pawn shop owner who does nitrous and does belly flops in his mud pit in his yard? Uh, I think I'd be stuck in the Rolexus. I could vomit in there alone and not have to see a lot of things that I don't want to see. Get murdered. (laughs) Would you rather spend a treat yourself day with Donna or get the perfect just what you wanted but you didn't know you needed gift from Leslie? That's a tough one because in Treat Yourself, I still have to spend my own money. (laughs) I'm going to say the perfect Leslie gift. She's so thoughtful. Would you rather eat waffles with Leslie or eggs and bacon with Ron? I want to say both. That's not allowed. My kids, when we do Would You Rathers, they just say, that's not allowed, Mom. Um, (laughs) I feel like it would be a little bit like a voyeurism to watch Ron eat those eggs and bacon. So I'm going to go with Leslie. Leslie and Waffles, would you rather have Ron's woodworking skills, his saxophone magic, or mustache abilities? I worry about having his saxophone magic because that leads to a lot of female attention. A lot of ladies. And I don't want to deal with that noise. So I'm going to say his woodworking. Because those canoes are, as the kids say in 2016, on fleek. Do they say that? All right, this is one that I wish I'd written. Would you rather get caught stealing Ron's bacon or keying Donna's Mercedes? Oh, no. (laughs) I'm going to go with Ron's bacon. Donna is terrifying. Yeah, she will tackle you for sure. And I'm just saying your size difference, she might might kill you. I might be able to appeal to Ron somehow by offering him more (laughs) bacon. Would you rather be yelled at? By Craig, Donna, or Ron? Uh, Craig, definitely. That is an experience. That's like it's like riding your first bicycle or it's a ride of passage. learning to swim. Two things that I did very late in life. Yes. I feel like he would compliment me and like something he's jealous about, right. you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> would you rather listen to Barney's QuickBook presentation or eat at Sue's Salad for a week? I love salad. I'm going Sue's Salad. I do not understand a thing about taxes. All right. Mary Bump Dump. Bobby Newport, Andy Dwyer, or Chris Traeger? I'm going to bump Chris Traeger. I'm going to dump Andy Dwyer. I'm going to marry Bobby Newport. For all that money? Well, the money, and also, he seems like a great hang. Even though he's dumb, like, we're just going to get along really well. We're going to play some wee bowling or whatever he loves to play. Andy has a heart of gold. And we're going to go on his boat, Bobby's boat, <laughs> and have a, we're going to have a lot of fun. I also have a merry bump dump for you. Mark Brandanowitz, mm-hmm. Officer Dave, Jeremy Jam. Oh, these are terrible. Okay. Yeah, much, much worse than yours. Shoot. This is just because of the options, okay? Oh, crap. Okay. No. I just want to dump. Okay. I, ha- <laughs> I have to dump Jam. He is disgusting. With his IBS. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm dumping jam. I'm only bumping Mark because I could not stomach that with Dave. And Dave is kind and has a stable He's job. Kind of so I'd marry him. Okay. <laughs> you really put me through the ringer right there. This is a triple would you rather. All right. You got to think about it here. For the rest of your life, would you rather have to wear Ron's Tammy 2 incited cornrows or your only food option is whatever is in April and Andy's kitchen and you have to eat what they prepare you. 
Or every time you need to ask a question, you have to do it like Mona Lisa Saperstein. Money, please. <laughs> every time you ask a question. This is not only because I think I would look good in cornrows, <laughs> but I think the cornrows. I don't want anything to do with Mona Lisa. You know that's right. She might be the person that I would least want to hang out with on the whole series. In the whole series. Although watching her and John Raphael do their uh 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 uh, uh their little mm, dance, mm, it's my mm, favorite. Mm. <laughs> would you rather play mini golf with Jeremy Jam or eat Caesar salad with Councilman Milton? I just had a visceral reaction to that salad scene. Ah. <laughs> With it just dribbling all over his mouth and extra entries, <laughs> totally mini golf. I feel like extra I would trash talk jam so hard and make him cry like a stupid little baby. It'd be fun. I love that. Would you rather have to take Jean Ralphio as your date to your boss's wedding and there's definitely a dance floor, or <laughs> April gets to legally name your firstborn child? Oh gosh. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to let April name my child because I think I could just come up with a fun nickname. Satan, and Dark then the Lord, kid has some, Voldemort, something. And then he has like a fun story to tell the rest of his life. Like, this is my real name. Would you rather discuss Game of Thrones with Ben or learn to make a chair with Ron? Oh, those both sound fun. I don't know if you meant that as a, a negative or not. Um, I, meant, I meant positive for you. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I would love to have an endearing moment with ron especially after watching making it that is my kids favorite show and they know nothing of parks and rec but they love nick and amy my head is saying got with ben because that would just be delightfully fun however it would be so much fun it'd be heartwarming it'd be uplifting i feel like i would get life lessons from ron if we were making a chair together and he'd let me swear too when i screwed up with the <laughs> with the machinery so all right you need to pick an andy dwyer what version of him are you picking between three okay mm-hmm the Andy who shields April from an onslaught of bee stings because he thinks he's immune from getting stung once in his life. <laughs> or Andy giving a very incorrect and very sincere tour of the White House grounds. Or finally, Andy using his political prowess during the Model UN to get all of the other country's lions. <laughs> he's my favorite. Oh, his line about, I don't know anything about how to win this game, but if owning a lot of lions is important. Like, it's, oh, he's so pure. Okay. He's so pure. I'm going with the lions. I think that's the right answer. By the way, since you started talking about bacon and Ron, I cannot get eggs, bacon, and toast stuck at. It's, it's just eggs, stuck in my head. bacon, and toast. You're going to start your day the garbage way with eggs, bacon, and toast. Taylor. Would you rather be as rich as the Newports, maybe have a little nude portrait of yourself because you're that rich, you know, or as loved as little Sebastian? And this has to come with singing if you choose little Sebastian. You know, my instinct is to say as loved as little Sebastian because who doesn't want to be that loved? But that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You own the whole town, basically. Bye-bye, little Sebastian. I miss you. Okay, okay I'm going to decline the money. I'm going to say as loved as little Sebastian. What? The reason this one is so tough is that, you know, someone outside of Pawnee like Ben Wyatt, it's clear that he doesn't know why he's beloved. <laughs> and that leads me to think, like, why am I beloved? What is my value? Am I just cute? Maybe I it's should take money. It worked for me. But... 
<laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I'm small. If you didn't know it, listeners, I'm small. Okay. People think you, I've been cute. Mackenzie, can you tell me right now, is your twin little Sebastian? <gasps> I wish. I should have chosen <laughs> But yes, I'll take as, li- as beloved as little Sebastian. I like it. This is my last one for you, Mackenzie. Would you rather go to the Gurgich's Christmas party or to Jerry's 16th birthday party? Sweet 16. This is easy. The Christmas party. Jerry's party seems kind of lame, although Donna's cabin is cool. The Gurgich's, it's magical. The food looks great. There's decorations. It's just a happy, festive moment. And you have also skipped Jerry dinner to go to the Christmas party. Jerry dinner. Jerry dinner. Jerry dinner. Jerry dinner. Okay. (laughs) This is definitely the most singing of an episode, and I love it. I think this one might be a no-brainer. Okay. Would you rather be married to both John Ralphio and Mona Lisa or get melted by Zorp the purveyor? (laughs) Hail Zorp. Mm, Yeah. I don't know. I might rather die than be in a polygamous marriage to them. Wait, are you saying it's a no-brainer because you'd rather die? I'd rather get Zorped. (laughs) Just just fillet my skin off with your fire eyeballs right now. I love that the guy says... You'll be a chattering skeleton. <laughs> Once Zorp the fair. Okay, yeah, I'd rather die. That was the right answer. Mackenzie, that was super fun. That was. I hope you guys ask your friends. Whoever loves Parks and Rec in your life, you should listen to the segment with them and see what they would say. Okie dokie. Let's get into our wrap-up questions. I don't know what voice that was. That Translation, wrap-up questions. Okay. Rapid fire. All right, Taylor, our first question. Does this pilot have a message? I'm curious to see what you think. Similarly to our earlier conversations, you know, the message of the pilot is one thing. The message of the series is another. So my message for the pilot is don't believe in anything. And for the series, it's believe in everything. Do you believe in magic? Guys, what is with this episode? Mine might be similar in... That my message is change comes a bit slowly, but it gains momentum when you've got a team. And that's Aww. that's the Leslie Nope way. And you actually see it here a bit in the pilot where she wants to make this park happen. But without Anne, without Andy's accident, and without Mark Brand Stupidwitz getting on her team, it doesn't happen. And for the rest of the show, we see that. It's all about the team. I assume this will be like a really quick answer. But if it's long, go for it. Do they land the plane or does it crash into pawnee and burn the whole town down like zorps flaming wreckage. like zorps <laughs> they definitely they definitely get burned up by zorp the characters are not likable andy has slight a little glimpse but i almost think i know that because i know who he is now the chemistry besides leslie and ron and besides chris pratt there's nothing there yeah i think a good example is amy poehler she's she keeps coming into Ron's office and saying, like, oh, people want to know about the park. What's going on with the park? And they do a few moments like that throughout the first couple seasons where she's just clearly improving line after line. And that's one of Amy Poehler's strengths as an improv artist. That's very cool. But none of them are that funny. So what I took from it was, oh, Amy Poehler is a very funny person, but they don't know what this show is. So it sounds like you agree with me about the flaming wreckage of this pilot. Oh, uh, yeah. It's sad because we love it so much. 
It's very sad. I was debating whether or not this was worse than our worst pilot yet, which was Full House. Oh, dear. And certainly I'd rather watch the series Parks and Rec over Full House the series. But would I rather watch the Full House pilot? I don't know. And that is a scathing indictment of this pilot. I am just going to say, maybe there's a bit of a spin on this. Because to take it from being such a terrible pilot to so beloved, that actually seems almost harder than creating a new show. Like scrapping it and being like, well, that pilot sucked. To be able to take what you have and realize what's bad about it, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, how terrible their pilot was. And to be able to look at yourself and honestly say like, ooh, we missed the mark here. Good job, Mike Sure. Who's your breakout star, Tay-Tay? My breakout star is a little man. A big man, a chubby man, with two broken legs, <laughs> who, <laughs> named who, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. I have a question for you. I've read that he was in the OC before this, and yep. like that's how they kind of found him. Had you seen him in the OC? Did I you did. like know who he was? I didn't recognize him from here, no. But when I went back, went back and watched the OC for our deep dive, I saw him as a little college like <gasps> undergrad. In a little Aww. beanie, it was and like a poncho. It was weird. He's so cute. That's so cute. Mike Schur's wife worked with him on the OC and wanted to bring him on. Well, yes, as you mentioned, Andy is one of the only bright spots for this pilot. He provides genuine laughs, not just kind of like awkward. Oh, that was kind of funny. And he's really believable. You believe that that's who he is when you see his kind of dumb smile, him barking yeah. for more pancakes for man. He's almost totally. the most believable of the cast. And his career exploded after this. So in that regard, he was definitely the breakout star. Absolutely. Did you have someone else in mind? Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely Chris Pratt, not just for what he's gone on to do, because Jurassic World, that whole thing, Avengers something related? I don't know. <laughs> he's he, If you're in the Marvel Universe starring in your own movie, that's a pretty big deal to come from mm -hmm. nothing. And I don't know Chris Pratt's background, except for the fact that he actually grew up in Washington, Mm -hmm. But he was only supposed to have a six-episode arc, and he was so funny and improv so well. I don't even know if he's an improv actor. But so many of his lines are, are his own. And that is huge when you're acting around people like Amy Poehler or Nick Offerman who improv is their game. If you guys want to have fun, just Google Andy's Secrets. That is my favorite sequence from Andy Dwyer, above and beyond. Why Taylor's laughing <laughs> wordlessly. I'm silent laughing. I forgot about that. That's so good. Oh, thank you. Do you can you think of one of those right off the top of your head? I don't know who Al Gore is, and I'm too afraid to ask. Mackenzie, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is your Joel? Your Joel Mazel? Who do you want to punch in the face? Easy, Mark. I w I would get enjoyment from punching him in the face. Most most of the time, I wouldn't enjoy that in real life. I'm sorry to Paul Schneider, but Mark punch right in the face. So much joy. I think eventually when they show a little bit more of who Mark is, he has this skeezy background and you're like, what is up with this guy? <laughs> I would also want to punch him. In this episode, I'm not sure I have so much to hate him for. And that makes me just want to punch Tom in the face. Yeah. That, that exchange with Anne where he's hitting on her <gasps> is so cringeworthy. Her reaction was amazing. I'm imagining punching him in the face and him just being like, eh. Well, it's funny because they sort of date later in the show, which is great. <laughs> and also imagining Anne and Andy dating. It was so funny to see them dating because all I think of is April and Andy, but 
We'll get yeah. there someday. All right, second to last question. Tay-Tay, who is your twin of the episode of the series? I'm not sure which one you picked. I want you to remember, in like the first five minutes of the podcast, you said this person was the second worst character on the show. Oh, no. My twin is Ann Perkins. Ann Perkins. How do you feel about that? Notable land mermaid? Okay. <laughs> it makes sense because out of everyone she's also my twin but i actually i have a twin of the series i have a twin she's of the series also your twin but of this oh episode it's like this she's is, a loyal a friend it's is we've it had, the first that we've had the same this is our 15th episode and we've never had the same twin who's your why is she your twin she's my twin because in the end she is likable she's helpful she's kind of funny Kind of awkward. She's more like a kind of beautiful. Cute dork. Yeah, she's a cute dork, and I'm a cute dork. You are a very cute dork. We're both beautiful and mermaids. Well, she's right? also We're like the most mystical... normal person in the show. You are a sane person sometimes amongst a bunch of crazies, aka Thank me. Thank you. So maybe I'm not Anne. <laughs> I want to know why you're Anne. Mostly because Is the same reason. No. She sees a problem and pulls other people in to solve it. And that is how I work. I like can see problems from 3,000 miles away, which makes me a really fun person. But I really like being on a team. And she's a very loyal friend to Leslie in the end. But I'm just going to throw a wrench in this and say that my real twin's actually Ben. He is the most six on the Enneagram you've ever met in your life for being neurotic and paranoid and like surprised easily. Um, <laughs> when, when things pop loudly around him and he freaks out, that's actually my personality. Are you a, are you his twin because you love spreadsheets? I do enjoy a spreadsheet, and I love Game of Thrones. His reaction to the chair would be my reaction. To, to have the you ever throne. cried while wearing a Batman costume? <laughs> That's a good question. No, I dressed up as Khaleesi for Halloween in a banging costume. So I feel like me and Ben would totally that be was friends. A great costume. Our love yeah. for cosplay. I had to pick for the episode. It was Anne, but in, in real Parks and Rec fashion, I am Ben. And my okay. husband okay. is a go-getting, optimistic butt-kicker that gets everyone around him to, you know, rise up. That's a great point. We're a great match. All right, last question. You are a network executive. You are wearing the lime green pantsuit that Leslie wears in that one episode. Yes. Do you pick up this show based on the pilot? This is so hard because my initial reaction is, heck no. Leslie Nope, as a character, does not have what it takes to be the lead person mm -hmm. yet obviously obviously soon enough it will be amazing however because greg daniels and mike sure have come from the office and their first season also was terrible i think i would give that to them hoping that this would be a juggernaut like the office which hey it never exactly was except in the, the post airing world i think there would have to be a ton of changes it was it would only be because of, of greg and mike's pedigree that i would say try another few episodes what about you oh wait i know i need to pick an outfit for you oh i know you get to wear the batman outfit you're you're an executive who really likes to uh get into character so you're you're wearing ben's batman costume and you have to do the voice i would tell greg and mike we love you and we want to work with you on your next project but this one did not work Ooh. i would say hell no oh hell no Ingrid Michaelson style. I thought you were going for John Ravio on that. Oh, I was. This wasn't. is the worst. But you really it missed that opportunity. It was the worst. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. That was embarrassing. 
I think it's important to know that Parks and Rec would have been cancelled a number of times if NBC had anything else ready to replace it. Yikes. After the writer's strike of 2010? Around there. The show aired in 2009, so around there. Yeah. You know, the writers got a good chance to say, okay, this, what's not working? How can we fix this? Lucky for them. Lucky for them. But NBC just didn't have anything in production that they thought would succeed. And lucky for the world that that was the case. I remember watching this second season and immediately upon the first episode, I was giggling and it was shocking to the system, but so enjoyable. Yeah, I mourn for a world without Parks and Rec, but it's undeniable that based on this pilot, there's no way I could justify. There's nothing in this that makes me think there is a viable long-term show here. Well, and we realize we don't need another Michael Scott. He, in himself, is Steve Carell. We need a Leslie Nope. We deeply need the real Leslie Nope, so I'm so glad they found her. Purred happily, I'm sorry. Would Purred have ever come into being? Oh my gosh, how do you Was say he in season one? No. The story of this wrap-up is that it concludes the episode. Thank you. That was really great. Mackenzie, that was a lot of fun, even though I'm sad that this episode was so terrible. Do you have any last thoughts? I like what we've said, so I'm good. What about you? Bye-bye, little Sebastian. I'm holding out my phone as a lighter. Is little Sebastian the Ted Lasso of 2009 <laughs> in himself? Maybe. What what we needed back then. Uh, I love that. Yeah. That, that's we'll a joke only a few of you soon. will understand. But If you have not watched Ted Lasso, get off your... But oh, did you know that it put... rhymes with? <laughs> okay. Um... Get off your butt. Put your butt on the couch. So if you're already on the couch, keep your butt there and this watch. This is our Ted second Lasso. plug for an Apple TV Plus show, which I never ever thought would happen in the history of life. Just get a free mm. trial and binge it because there's like eight episodes, and then you can delete <laughs> Apple TV. Well, as always, let me kick it to next week as I play the theme song for our next week's show. Thanks so much for listening this week, guys. We love dissecting these pilots together, and it is so fun to share it with all of you. If you've enjoyed our podcast, there are three easy ways you can share and interact with us. First, make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Second, share our show with a friend and leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. These reviews actually help more people to find our show. And finally, we love interacting with you. We want to hear about which pilots you want us to analyze next, your twin of the episode, or if you've got a beef with any of our opinions. So come find us at fromthetoppod.com or on Instagram or Facebook at fromthetoppod. Thanks for listening on From the Top with Taylor and Mackenzie.